0: Life is old then, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like the breeze. Country roads.
1: So here we are, the Crush the Cargill podcast once again, and this week our guest is uh, Jeff Browning, who is a runner and lives in the States, and uh, Jeff, what else do you do apart from run?
2: Uh, I'm a coach, so online endurance coach, and also a graphic designer for 20 years, Uh, but most recently, the last uh, five years, I've been doing, I've been on online endurance coaching mainly. And whereabouts are you? Uh, Bozeman, Montana. And how are things there? Uh, spring's coming, so been getting a lot of trail running in. Um, we're a pretty uh, sparsely populated state, um, yep. up you know right up against Canada border. So um, we have had we've been we were on a little bit of we are on lockdown a little bit. Um, non-essential businesses were closed for a little bit and now everything's starting to open back up on a very limited basis right now but you know limited seating at restaurants stuff like that but we're starting to starting to mingle again
1: yeah oh that's nice yeah yeah so you had very low case rate there didn't you
2: you went we had a low case rate here um you know my own personal opinion we're being way too conservative um it's a virus. You can't avoid it. It's a billionth of a meter. <laughs> you know, it's going to, it's going to go through the population. The whole point of locking down in the first place was not to overwhelm medical. And, and we've definitely done that. So it's time, I think, in my opinion, it's time to get back to business. Um, as far as, you know, healthy people, like high risk people should probably still be careful, but you know, everyone else should start mingling again. And, and we only way we, we get through this is like for, for us all to come in contact with it yeah, it's unavoidable, it's a virus, that's the way viruses work,
1: yeah, 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 no, fair, cool, Um, so um, tell us a bit more about yourself, so you've been running for quite a while, how did you get into it?
2: Um, I I started, uh, well, I've always been a runner, but more, uh, I did a bunch of traditional U.S. sports um, when I was a kid, so and, and high school and into like my teens, late teens. I did base baseball, basketball, wrestling, uh, track and field and football. So American football, not soccer. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: and, uh, then, uh, when I went to college, I got into mountain biking, um, in 93. So kind of an early adopter to mountain biking, um, did some racing a little bit just for fun, worked at a bike shop in college. And then, uh, after I left university, I, uh, um, I got my first kind of graphic design job in Denver, Colorado, and I really moved there to mountain bike and I started rock climbing and backpacking and still did some running just to keep my dog fit and to keep my dog from chewing things up um, and, and to get me out the door a little bit, but no more than like 20 to 45 minute runs. And then when I moved to Bend, Oregon in 2000, um, I befriended uh, someone who was a, had just gotten into ultra running And I was trying to get them into mountain biking, and he was trying to get me into running. And uh, I kind of fell into running, and he eventually became a mountain biker, but it took him a long time. And I quickly became an ultra runner, and then biking, cycling took a back seat. Um, And I started kind of actively ultra running and racing starting in 2001.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, good. So, yeah, Yeah. yeah, Andrew, you've turned up. Well done. Daylight like Savings. Right. <laughs> 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 all right. right. I'm
0: guessing, I'm guessing yeah. you've started already and I've, I've missed
1: all the important questions.
2: Yeah, you have.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. So, Jeff, when did you start? Winning races?
2: Uh, first win was in Bighorn 100 in 2005.
1: 2005. So, that's quite a while ago. So, you've been winning yeah. races for 15 years. Yeah. yeah I think, Steve, you are just out uh, of your middle age then, weren't you? Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm not much older than Jeff.
2: How <laughs> yeah, how old how old, I mean, how, are you, how old are you, Steve?
1: I'm 54.
2: Nice.
1: But yes, I haven't, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm 48. 48.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean if
0: if there's anything that Steve wanted to um to get out of this interview is probably um how to how to be a faster old man.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Actually speaking of Jeff, have you ever heard of Eric Turnbull?
2: I've heard that name. Who is that?
0: Oh, he. Oh, well, he's he's dead now. So, um, yeah, but he 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 was like the fastest old man in the world. He was a he's a sheep farmer down in um, South. Oh,
2: I've seen a documentary on him. That's oh, why it's
0: ringing a bell. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. And now he apparently he had something like he had every record for his age group, from something like eight hundred meters up to like a marathon or something like that. It was something ridiculous, yeah.
1: He did the Kepler Kepler Challenge. It's a 60k mountain race in New Zealand. He did that when he was 72 or something. Wow,
2: that's awesome. Yeah, there's not bit. So there's definitely hope for you two guys. Yeah. 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 I, I want to be that. I want to be like that. Yeah. yeah. Actually,
0: that's the my, my thoughts on that. Jeff is that um. You know, um, like whenever you see like the Masters Games or whatever, there's always like one person in the hundred plus category or something like that. And like yeah. they, as long and you know, they're only doing the hundred meters because they can't make it all the way around the track. But as long as they make it to the finish line, it's like it's a guaranteed gold medal. You know,
2: totally.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's me. That's 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 my plan. Yeah, yeah. that's Honestly, what you're
3: waiting for, eh?
0: I mean, I, I don't, I don't have to be the fastest. I just have to live the longest.
3: (laughs) That's true. Yeah. So what about your family? um, Just a quick question, mate. Um, I don't know too much about you personally, but uh, just in terms of diet and stuff, what sort of changed for you in the last, I guess, 20 years? or? um,
2: Yeah, I mean, the the kind of evolution of my dietary uh, choices... Started um, in my twenties. I kind of started playing around. I grew up on a farm. So I grew up with like, you know, uh, pigs and cattle and, and crops and kind of traditional, uh, commercial crops in the United States, corn, soybeans, and wheat. And, uh, um, you know, so I was a meat eater and in, in my twenties, my wife and I became vegetarians for about seven years. Never really, I never felt like I was thriving on a, I was still mountain biking a ton and climbing and I I just didn't feel like I thrived on a, on a plant-based diet. And, uh, so I started, you know, we had, my wife had a few health issues and, um, around our first child and, um, she was just having, having some issues with the diet. So we went back to a whole foods diet, organic whole foods diet. So we started eating meat, um, clean sourced meat. Um, you know, grass fed, grass finished beef and, you know, wild, uh, wild mimic stuff. And um, so we started doing that and doing vegetables. We threw out all our processed food. This was in 2004. Um, We threw out all our processed food out of the house and started eating, you know, just vegetables, fruit, um, soaking our grains, um, eating sprouted grains, um, clean sourced meat. And then in um, that went on for about 10, 12 years, about 12 years, and then two or thirteen years, and in 2015, into that season, I was having some health issues. Um, I, I went to a trip to Central or to South America and raced and I drank some definitely gnarly water. And I don't know if that triggered something in my system or what, but that season I dealt with some health issues. I had a staph infection that I had to get deal with with antibiotics. I um was dealing with a, uh, um, candida overgrowth in my GI tract. So like, you know, basically yeast. Um, so something was going on. And so anytime I dealt with like seven major flare ups in 2015. Um, and at the end of that, like November of 2015, I, I just got so frustrated with like the, the, the seventh time I'd flared up, I would get really itchy and get a rash and all kinds of stuff. And um, I finally uh, uh, sat down for a week and did kind of like four or five hours of research every night on anti-candida diets. And I started coming across things like, well, it's yeast basically, and yeast feeds on sugar. So you need to limit carbohydrates because carbohydrates in your system turn into glucose. And so I started, um, at the end of that week, I kind of went to kind of a ketogenic paleo style diet um, initially to kind of get it under control and manage it. And then I started reading some stuff on, on endurance performance and fat adaptation. And I kind of got hold of that from Zach Bitter was a good friend. And I called him, I called Peter Defty at Vespa. um, and we, we kind of traded notes and, um, I learned a ton from those guys that kind of mentored me in that first, like six months. And, um, I switched to kind of a high fat, low carb diet, kind of paleo, um style diet um you know just basically eating fruits vegetables and meat um and not not eating any processed foods whatsoever no grains no sugar and everyday diet um and that's when i really i just started feeling a lot better i lost i lost weight um which i was in my 40s at you know then mid 40s and i was starting to like have trouble getting back getting to race weight which a lot of people in their 40s find it's hard um, it's a challenging time because your metabolism's slowing down your your protein synthesis uh, capabilities slow down in your 40s um, and so I was seeing that happen like muscle muscle mass wasn't as good as it used to be you know race weight wasn't as easy to get to as it used to be I'd always like come in like one or two pounds heavier than I wanted to come in I never could get well rid of the last few pounds um, you know so uh, uh, that allowed me to like I lost, so eight pounds, what is that, four kilograms, about four kilograms, wow.
1: um,
2: and um, had just felt great, like my health, my energy, my recovery, like everything changed, and that was in my mid-40s, and ever since then, it's been the same, so my 40s have been, my late 40s have been probably the best shape of my life, um, fitness-wise, recovery-wise, all of it. Yeah, well, it wasn't that long ago that you
0: you won Hard Rock, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, 2018. Yeah, oh, man.
0: Well, what's it like when you're just, like, thrashing all those guys in their mid-20s?
2: <laughs> it's pretty satisfying, I have to say.
0: <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, is there anyone out there that you just love to beat? You know?
2: no, uh, It doesn't matter. If they're younger than me, I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, no, I, no, I'm not going to – yeah, I'm not going to – uh, I, uh, I don't have any, any qualms about anyone. I just like to be – I, it, I have to say it is, very, it is very rewarding to spank down some younger guys, especially <laughs> places like Western States when it's really competitive. Um, yeah. And, you know, you're, you're really, like, fighting it out the last 30, 40K of that race for the top yeah. 10. And um, it's, it's been pretty fun, I have to say. And I'm very motivated to train, too, still. So, I I do all the quality. I do all the small stuff. I do strength training, mobility. Um, I do the speed work. It looks like you do a bit of boxing, too. I do. I have a – actually, my son used to be into karate, and um, my youngest son's really a hyper. So, I put him out here and make him punch the punching bag a lot. And my other son, my older son, who was into karate, uses it as a kicking Oh, for kicking okay. and, and punching
0: still and and you have a treadmill there behind you as well that's um
2: i do i have a i have a bike on a trainer my road bike's on a trainer i have a uh, incline trainer treadmill punching bag i have a little home gym you got um, a
3: lawnmower back there anywhere jeff or a what a lawnmower
2: <laughs> uh, i do i have my lawnmower but it's uh self-propelled it's not it's the old school one no no motor
0: the way to oh, go yeah. oh man we, we should we should hook you up with our pal terry he's got some great training tips there that involve a lawnmower
2: <laughs> yeah i bet lawnmower is good work it's good it's a hard workout
1: especially <laughs> well I'll wait till you see how terry does it <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so you mentioned family how many, how many kids you got
2: three how, how... i have a i have a 17 year old son and 14 year old daughter and an eight year old son oh wow okay
1: so yeah. you've been you've been um, racing throughout your family career really.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually I I finished Western States my first 100 in 2002 3 weeks before my first child was born. Right. My wife was very pregnant.
1: Yeah, yeah. So how have, how have you found balancing life family running?
2: Uh it's been I mean I've always had a very flexible schedule because I own I've had my own business in some, some way, shape or form since 2001. So, um, I've been self-employed. So I had a graphic design business for 15, 17 years. Um, so I've always had kind of a flexible schedule. So I've always either partially worked out of the house or, you know, home, like telecommuted part of the time or full time, most of that time. So I've got to be around my kids being growing up, Um, my wife homeschools. So, I'm around them all the time. She's home, I'm home. So that's been a blessing I have to say. Um, but balancing it, there was, it was challenging at times, especially in the early days when there was no money and I was training so much. Um, so it was more just chasing a hobby. And my wife reminded me that it was a hobby quite often. Um, uh, but, but later as you know, I had success and, and, you know, you can get, get, get paid a little bit. To, to supplement my full-time income, um, that was, that's nice. So at least you can justify that you're getting paid partially to train, <laughs> but um, not getting rich or anything, yeah. but, but it is uh it's, that's helpful for sure. That helps balance it even more because now it's, you know, part of the coaching business. It feeds into the coaching business, the athlete athlete side of things.
3: Mm. So.
2: How it, many
3: uh, hundred miles have you done, Jeff? uh 39 39 so uh, most of those have been more recently yeah. or
2: yeah uh i started running um i started i did one one 100 a year i skipped 2003 with because of an injury but 2002 and then from 2004 on i did one a year until 07 and 07 through 2013 i did two a year and then starting in 2014 i started doing Four or five a year.
1: She's still getting stronger.
2: Yeah, I just like that's the fabulous. distance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was having success at it too. You know, like twenty-one of my, I think I have thirty-two career wins or something like that in ultras. Um, but twenty-one of them are in hundreds.
1: Twenty-one out of thirty-nine. That's yeah.
2: You, you, you yeah. A career, didn't you? Yeah,
1: I yeah, did.
2: Yeah. And I came the first year or the second year they had it.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. What
2: do you think of that? I like, I, it was fun, a lot of running. Okay. <laughs> um, I want, I really want it to be, I want it to be the course they envision and up over all the big, all the big ridges over there. Yeah. If we get get it about 7,000 meters of climbing, then it would be really sweet. Yeah. But a lot of roads, like the road running was like, not my, it's not my, my strong suit. You yeah. know, the run, run, the run, I'm more of a mountain runner. So I definitely had to push it hard, you know, and all the, but I was trained well for roads at the time. I, cause I knew there was a lot of running in that course. Um, you know, Grant got Grant Geist is a friend of mine. So he had kind of filled me in on what the course was like. And so I knew that there were some hard technical sections and climbs, but they were short and punchy. And I knew I needed to be ready for those, but I knew a lot of it was like, just, you know, getting into kind of that road running mode too.
1: So yeah, yeah. was it pretty satisfying to beat grant guys by 3
2: hours <laughs> it was um he, yeah he he we have a pretty 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 uh, tight relationship after we, we camped together years ago at hard rock oh, yeah. 2016 um we camped together at hard rock for days and we kind of did some did some runs together before the race and then we both raced
0: i i, I saw I, I remember seeing a photo of us his- of them of camping back then, and he only had a small tent. Were you guys
2: separate tents? Or? Yeah, we were separate tents.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you,
2: we just. I, I happened to camp. I happened to camp just right next to him. There's kind of an area called Cunningham Gulch, on the Hard Rock course, right, where Cunningham Aid Station is. And there's kind of a a, 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 like a minimalist camping spot there. There's like one pit toilet and just a bunch of kind of open grass, along a, a dirt road. Um, right by a creek and there was a spot open and he was he had already he was already camping and I pulled up in an empty spot next to him and then you know I was by myself he was by himself and then we started chatting and realized we were both in the race and we were both there early because I think I was there maybe eight days early and he had been there already and so we got out on the course together we kind of just hung out because we were camping right next to each other and um and then we've been friends ever since
1: yeah. Oh, how about that? Yeah. So you, you spent a while in New Zealand then, was it?
2: Yeah. La- uh, whenever I came last year. Was that last year? Yeah. Last year. Last February.
1: Yeah.
2: Two, two Februarys ago. So 2018. I come mean, you should, re- you should really come in December next time. As- yeah. Yeah. I, I, would, I would love to come and just hang out for a month. Um, there's so much good. I mean, I went through the South Island with Grant, you know, I was there 17 days. Um, and I guess on the ground, 14 days, um, 17 days of track, you know, with travel. Um, and so, yeah, I got to kind of get just a sampling of the South Island, um, before we headed up for the race festivities at the end. And then I just kind of flew out right after the race, but, um, yeah, it, it definitely was, uh, wetted my appetite to go explore the South Island more.
1: We've, yeah. we've got a good um, mountain race that you'd like in Dunedin, actually, called Crush the Cargill. It's a 24-hour challenge. I think you'd do quite yeah. well.
2: I want, I'd like to what, – what's the date on that race?
1: Uh, December the 12th this year.
2: Okay. December second,
1: the 12th. Second second Saturday or second weekend of um, December.
3: Grant's actually the founder of that, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: He, yeah he told me how hard it was. I'm, I'm I'm intrigued. i intrigued. He's,
3: he's never done it, but <laughs> he's too scared.
2: Is he too scared? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's too yeah.
3: scared to race his own race. He, he does all yeah. the promo work for it, but he's he's never turned up. Even <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, he even
0: yeah, Grant even got us banned off Facebook for a bit there.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Are we still banned? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Why
2: would you get banned? Um, well, you have, Oh, yeah. we
1: were mocking Hitler. They, yeah. Oh, that was <laughs> not popular. It didn't, it didn't fit with the Facebook algorithms.
2: Oh, of course.
1: Terrorist activity and all that. Yeah. yeah. Which is probably a good thing, but yeah, we're just one of the part of the collateral damage. Yeah. What was, what
2: was
0: yeah. that noise? So, so if you. Oh, be- it's my
2: cat. All oh, right. My, I, oh, I have spider. an annoying cat that is like sitting here and meowing like crazy just because I'm sitting in my office. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's ruining the podcast right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you'd
0: be surprised what's you no, know, no, we um nothing can ruin this podcast. But you know, we usually set the bar pretty low, you know, as far as um as far as most aspects. So We're gonna say Andrew. Yeah, I was gonna say I was like I was looking up where um. You know, so obviously, like, I like to do my homework before an interview and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I noticed you're in Bend, Oregon. And, uh. Oh, uh, well, I, I, I used to I, be.
2: Sorry. I used to be, not anymore.
0: Oh, oh man. Wow. Well, you've got to update your Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't
2: know who. Somebody else put that up. I don't know who put that up. I need to probably send somebody in there and update it to get yeah. it correct.
0: Look. look. Just be thinkable, you got a Wikipedia. Like, I don't think I've got one. <laughs> I might, I might yep. do one for Steve later. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> but where are you now? Because you've, you've got a surfboard there behind you as well. So you
2: Yeah, but, uh, Bozeman, Montana. And it, it's a paddleboard. Oh, Standard yeah. Paddleboard. We, we, yeah. We, we only have lakes.
1: Holy oh, okay. yeah. I was
0: going to say, what the hell
2: is in Montana? <laughs> yeah, it has to be a high mountain lake. Actually, I know what's in Montana. Um, no, the, I, was,
0: I was just watching the Hunt for a Red October, and Sam Neill's character, the, who was the one of the um, Sean Connery's second in charge, he yep. wanted to go to Montana when they defected. Didn't make it though because yeah. he got shot. <laughs> ah, bummer. He would have <laughs> <Yeah>. liked it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Montana. It's good Montana. up here. Is that a is that a is that a red state or a blue state?
2: uh mostly red state but a blue governor right right
0: right okay Yep. right actually which party's red again
2: <laughs> what's that <laughs> which party's red again <laughs> uh yeah most of it i mean i think almost the whole state pretty much is like most of it's red
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. we uh, only get the bad news
2: from america right eh? oh man yeah like there's so much propaganda comes out of the media dude don't trust anything that's coming from the u.s (laughs) seriously we don't (laughs) if you're smart you don't i guess if you have a logical mind you know one of the things that we talk about in ultra running all the time is mindset right and if if you're if you're stressed anxiety or fear if you're any feeling any of those emotions then you will not your frontal lobe of your brain where your logical logical thinking is housed is shut off. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's why I say anybody peddling you safety through fear and anxiety and stress, yep. uh, I would question their motives.
1: So how, how do you deal with those in a do you yourself when you're racing and training? How do I deal with what? With the fear, anxiety, stress and and how do you well, Um, you, I think you, you have done?
2: To, <laughs> 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 uh, uh, that's funny um yeah i mean the way to deal with it the the best way to deal with it is just to like you know one plan so you're mentally preparing yourself for whatever you're whatever you're going to deal with right whether that's looking at maps studying maps studying the course um aid stations how far they are apart how much climbing is in between every aid station so you can manage mentally uh the situation as it unfolds throughout the race. So you can be as prepared on paper before you show up. And then have, be able to like, the ability to roll with bad situations. So if something turns wrong, you have to not dwell on the bad. You have to figure out how can I fix this? How can I adjust? And how can I move on and roll with it? And, and not allow that chaos to happen in your brain with fear and anxiety, because then you don't make good decisions. So staying calm, focusing on the positive, and making steps towards fixing a situation if it's not going quite according to plan.
1: Yeah. So how's that changed for you over, you know, 19 years of running, competing?
2: Well, I think there's a, it's easier to like, I didn't recognize when I might go down a bad mental path during a race. So your races are more inconsistent when you're in your early days, because you have trouble, like, recognizing that, Oh, I, I'm, I'm all I'm doing is dwelling on how much this sucks right now. And if you dwell on how much it sucks, it really sucks. And you're, you're just, you're creating that reality, you know, unless you, unless you use it as an opportunity and say, okay, well, I need to do A, B and C to get out of this. And I need to focus on this to keep me in a good place. And then you keep Focused and then you don't go down that bad path because you don't open that doorway.
0: Actually I think
2: um, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh no, I
0: was gonna say, speaking of like um bad paths, next time you're talking to Grant, ask him about the route for a nature (laughs) loop. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All (laughs) right. Oh
2: I where were we? I forgot.
1: Oh, Grant um, there is just a, a, a loop where Grant got lost on burn and lost a couple of places. And, and really, there's only one track to go, but he found another one. <laughs>
2: that, yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's another one, right? If you get off track, for example. Yeah. Like, not like for example, when I came to Tarawara two years ago,
1: yeah.
2: um, I took the 50K turn in that early morning and did a four, I think probably four or five mile loop Back to the same aid station. I came back to the exact same aid station I just left, and I and I and I just gone the wrong way. It was my fault. I had rushed a corner, and so that was a good example of like all of a sudden I was like, oh, I just ran extra five miles in a hundred miler. That sucks. And and so do you let that? A lot of people would have let that ruin their whole race. They would have found excuses why they would have why no, that's a good reason to drop out or you know that kind of thing and I just decided like it's a long race and I just needed to settle in and make my way back up to the front I knew I was in you know it was the second year of the race so I knew I was one of the stronger ones in the field and I knew with that with that I pro I was planning on going out for you know a pretty hard pace anyway and so I just decided well I just need to like push I'm gonna have to push longer and harder than I ever have yeah and so that's what i did i started pushing at 30k in and pushed the rest of the way to the pushed 100k worth of you know 100 110k hard and um everything held together and at that point i had a lot of experience too and i knew that i could probably take that risk um so yeah. there is like no, there is wisdom and knowledge that comes along with an experience to come along with those decisions oh, yeah. as well. I mean, when I- when I when
0: I did Northburn there was uh no, I actually thought I was lost at some point. I can't even remember what age station I was coming up towards. There's those it, it was the one with the two old guys in the in the in the shed. Um Um and I know, I thought I was lost because it was dark. I hadn't seen anybody for ages and then finally thought the line I got there and there's a guy that the, there was a there's another there's another runner that was sitting in the shed with the two old fellas. And he had taken a wrong turn and uh, run 10Ks up the wrong way and then back again. So he'd done like an extra 20Ks. But he was obviously at the aid station well ahead of me still after doing an extra 20Ks. And he pulled out. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, um, yeah, so I know. It's like.
1: Whereas you should look on the bright side and think you've, you've managed to get more than your money's worth because you've.
2: Exactly.
1: You've got to see yeah, yeah, yeah. more scenery and have a longer night.
2: Right, and it, and it's whether you can manage that mentally, Because right? your body's going to follow whatever you'd manage mentally. So if you say, you know what, that's It, it is what it is. I, it's done, and that's what I basically did. I, I I basically got really angry for about five minutes, and yelled a lot in the woods, and yeah. and, and and said a few choice words that that my, I wouldn't want to repeat, and um and then. Got my head on straight and oh, said, "Okay, you
0: know this this um this podcast isn't censored in any way, so <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah, well, yeah but I have what's, kids. What's, what's your worst? What's we your worst race scene where everything's gone wrong?
2: Uh, two thousand. Let's see, two thousand seven Hard Rock. Um, my first Hard Rock. I'd never been to Silverton. I'd never been to the San Juans and southwestern colorado um i didn't know how big that course was and i wasn't really i was kind of young and cocky at the time because i had my first win in 05 and 06 in 100 miler and so coming into 07 i kind of had some a lot of confidence but i didn't have the experience and so i showed up there didn't scout the course just showed up to run went out way too hard blew up royally, but I finished, but I had to take a 45 minute nap during the race. Um, one of the aid stations, um, I just crawled through the second half. Um, it was not pretty, but it taught me a lot. It taught me like, you can come back too after you've had a really bad blow up. Um, you know, you just need a nap.
1: And I still had
2: plenty of I still had plenty of time to finish, so I just I chalked it up to a finish and and a learning experience, and you know, because I've only I've only had one DNF in twenty years of ultras, um, and uh, so I've only dropped once, and that was because of a rolled ankle at UTMB in 2015.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. What sort of keeps you uh, like keeps your motivation up and keeps you sort of coming back? Like, like obviously with hundred milers, like a lot of people are going to do you Know, say a couple of hundred miles and then they're gonna just think, Man, this is hard. Um, you know, that's it for me. Like, like knocking out 3,900 milers, like you're, talk, <laughs> you're talking about it, and, and you just kind of go, Okay, well, that's that sounds pretty straightforward, but anyone that's done a hundred miles wouldn't tell you, you know, that's horrific. Like, that's oh,
0: hey, Adam, yeah. you could ask me that question, I've done a ton of milers as well. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. uh yeah i mean I, I how do i let's see you know like i think more than anything like experience helps you know now i've done so many they don't seem so intimidating as they used to be i know what i have to do and i kind of stick to my regimen of things to do and you know you do a b and c and then you finish um you know uh I don't know. I mean, the early days I had some, I struggled at times and but I learned from those. I think part of my motivation comes from having three kids and I take a lot of time away from them um, to train, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week of waking hours that I am spending out in the woods running when I could be, you know, spending time with my kids. So I always feel a little guilty about that. So when I show up to a race, I kind of feel like I owe it them to see it through even if I have a rough patch what am I teaching them that when it gets rough you quit um so that's not a very good lesson to teach as a dad so you know that that's always in my head that's a motivator for one of my motivators the other motivator is like I'm I have trouble sitting still and I'm very competitive so you know for me running is like an outlet for that uh, that extra energy I have all the time um and I like the I like the multifaceted uh, you have to be multifaceted for be good at ultra running. You can't just be a good runner. You have to be, figure out your nutrition. You have to like, think about recovery. You have to think about mobility. You have to think about strength, especially the older you get, those things become more important. The other things besides running. Um, And then you still have to be motivated to run fast. And I I do, I am, I still like to run fast. I like to go do speed work. I like do intervals. You know, I do it on trails more than I do it you know, on, I don't go to a track or anything like that anymore. I just do by minutes or time or, you know, and, um, and play. And I like getting in the mountains and I feel alive when I'm in the mountains. So I, it motivates me to get out cause I sit in front of the computer all day. So for me, it's a like release to get out of this man-made environment into a natural environment. Um, and I, I feel, you know, I feel reset and refreshed after I've been out running, even if it's hard workout.
3: Yeah, yeah, cool. Do you, do you think, think there's any um, – would you ever look at any other sort of races like track races or the 24-hour races, that sort of thing? Or um, Or taking up a hobby like chess? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: Well, <laughs> um, I I don't know. I, I mean, I do like chess. My kids like to play chess. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think cycling – it is something that um, mixing in cycling, like if you, for, for example, Leadville has the Leadman series where it's a combination of mountain biking races and running ultra races or trail races. And it's a series. So it's like five races um, of, you know, half, half cycling, half running. Um, that intrigues me just being an ex mountain biker. Um, and and I think uh, I don't know the twenty-four hour races. They just sound like I'd rather do every single mountain race on, in the world before I would go do a twenty-four hour track race or something. Um, that just like seems horrible to me.
1: Yeah, well, yeah.
2: It,
0: it is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there's just too many good like good mountain races. Like why you could you could. There's so many now in the in the world. In the U.S. alone, there's 170. Some hundred milers. I oh, no, know. So trail. Where, where, do even,
0: where do you even start? A eh? there's so many clashes in the calendar. You know, it's like
2: yeah, it's you could like, not repeat a race for years and still run new races at every race.
0: Yeah, so it's like even 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 here in New Zealand. You know, it's like going back a few years. Um, there's only what 400 mile races. Now there's a shit ton of them. Yeah. You know? Yep. You know, um, that's what it is. So, so I mean. Yeah, so you got to miss a race somewhere or other, don't you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I choose not to run on pavement or around in a circle like a hamster on a wheel or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. Say that you do have a treadmill. Well, it's only for emergency purposes. <laughs> I don't, it, my, my, the rest of my family, it gets more used by the rest of my family than me, probably, but, um, I use it on like, you know, when it's snow is melting and it's junky out or it's a horrible weather day, you know, or something like that. But if you look at my tra- my Strava uh, training, it's all outside, Yeah. You yeah know, yeah, yeah. 90, 99% of my training's outside.
1: Were you, were you it, able to keep running during the shutdown when Montana was more shut down?
2: Yeah, we never shut down any, any parks or outdoor spaces. Or national Forest, anything like that, got nothing. Got shut down. Only in, only in some of our more liberal states did they shut down, uh, state parks, national forests, city parks, stuff like that. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't understand that. But um, we were able to get out and and train still, and I never had to run inside or anything like that. We just can't go out for a beer. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's a bummer. But yeah, bummer. Online delivery. Uh, some of the, some of the pubs were, um, you could do fill-ups.
1: Oh, yeah. It was, um, like, bring it was a, a
2: growler in.
0: Over and on, they're doing, um, they're delivering pints of Guinness. There's some dude going around in the van, they like, you, you you buy your tray of, you know, a glass of, you know, not like a can or a bottle, you know. It's like, I
1: really? have a pint of <laughs> and there you go, you come around <laughs> with it.
0: Yeah. Oh, nice.
1: So, does, now, now that you're getting older, does it hurt more, doing minors?
2: No, um, I find that like I recover pretty fast if, as long as I kind of rein in my diet. Um, there's a de- definitely a direct correlation to recovery response versus what I eat. Yeah, like I've experimented with that quite a bit over the last three or four years, and there's definitely a correlation to carbohydrate intake and swelling, um, so, at least in me.
1: So you said you had a low fat, uh, low carb, high fat diet. Is that um, around rice time as well?
2: Um, I Well, I eat more carbs strategically when I'm in bigger training blocks, so more fruit, potatoes, uh, that kind of stuff. It comes from more like a paleo-style list, you know, or NutriVore-style diet. Um, and then so I'll eat more starch and occasionally some white rice. Um, but mainly fruits and vegetables are my main carbohydrate sources. So I just add in fruit and starches like potatoes strategically around effort and volume, and then when I'm training less or I'm tapering or anything like that, then my carbs would kind of, in tandem, go down with the training load, and then um, and then I'm really conscious of after big races like hundred milers, um, I'm really conscious of higher protein intake and low carb intake. So I usually eat more, almost carnivore. Um, like carnivore keto after a race at least for three or four days until the swelling's all gone um yeah. Yeah. and and then that that recovery response is faster and then i'm i'm less swollen yeah. i'm less you know less inflamed and then then when that's passed after three or four days then i can kind of go back to normal kind of di- paleo diet
0: hmm. yeah you um, know I, I i don't i don't think too hard about um my diet at all as far <laughs> as running guys i think it's just it's the running is just an excuse to eat more crap food you know run it off,
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the problem is is you're still doing like da- metabolic damage even if you're running right so because what that's doing is just knocking your your uh your blood sugar out of whack all the time and that's that's why that's why we see inflammation is is blood sugar response then pancreas has to kick out insulin to try to get the blood sugar back down so you're constantly in this cycle of like uh Spike, crash, spike, crash, and anytime our body, you know, anytime our glucose is high in the system, our blood glucose circulating, um, we're we're definitely going to be in a more uh, inflamed state. Um, so you want stable insulin, and 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 you also be storing fat. So if you have trouble getting down, you know, if you're carrying around a little extra weight, like one of the things that you run into, like a lot of some of the athletes I coach is if they're carrying around extra weight, usually it's out of control carbohydrate eating um, where they're eating way more than they're burning. And what happens is when you, when that blood sugar goes up and the pancreas kicks out insulin to knock the blood sugar back down, it says to the body, store fat in the cells. And that's from our seasonal eating days, like when we ate seasonally and winter was coming and we would eat and we would eat and eat and eat. We'd get some ripe berries or we'd get stuff that's in season in the late summer. And we would eat as much as possible, and it would it kind of like even clicks a thing in our brain that tells us we're not full. You ever eat a bunch of carbohydrates, especially like something like pasta, and you'll just eat and eat and eat, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, push away from the table, and you're like about to throw up because you've eaten so much. And you're, you got to oh, undo your belt. I know that
0: feeling so well.
2: <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I think everyone does. Everyone does. Well, what's,
0: what's, uh, what's the last thing I should, I should eat after a 100-mile race?
2: The last thing you should eat? Any kind of processed carbohydrate,
1: so that that includes that includes sports gels, doesn't it? Yeah, but during the race,
2: yeah, yeah. Have a steak, like red meat, is what I go for right after a race. Um, how do? Oh um,
1: no, what about beer?
2: (laughs) um, Yeah, great
1: question, Steve. Great question.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. Like the it's it's grain based, so. I don't drink as much beer as I used to. I drink more wine, um, white wine, red wine, um, or clear liquor, you know? So, um, so, vodka, you, vodka afterwards yeah, is bitter. Yeah, like gin or uh, vodka or tequila, um, stuff like that. Mix that with mineral <laughs> water. Oh, you, it, so you should good. definitely
3: come back to New Zealand, man.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I went. I bought a, Especially I bought a really expensive bottle of gin. It's It's... Uh, hold on. It's the, there's a craft gin brew, uh, uh, place that's out in the country where the bra, where the bra fence is. The bra oh, fence. Oh, Cadrona, Cadrona, Yes. Yeah. I, I got a bottle of Cadrona of gin. No surprise gin. that you were
3: hanging out there, Jeff.
2: Oh, <laughs> man. I went, when well, we were driving by. Especially, especially and, with Grant. Well, Grant, <laughs> I told Grant we had to stop because, Someone had told me, um, I'm trying to think which town well, what we're the, in. What the hell is that? that bra fence? Bloody hell.
3: <laughs> I don't know, well, man. It's well, so weird. Well, welcome to New Zealand. It is really weird.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, it, I I was like tripped out. I didn't take a picture of it. I sent it to my wife. I was like, that is really weird. The bra oh, fence. How much does
0: a bra cost? Oh, I mean, I wouldn't just go, uh, you know. They're cheap in Kadrona.
2: <laughs> I mean, if you're
0: gonna pay, like, you, you wouldn't want to hang this bra up, you know. I, don't
2: know I, I imagine they cost a bit of money. Like, I, I mean, you know, I think I, they get. Here's my theory: they get left there after you went to, went to the, went to Cadrona and drank a bunch of gin, and then you're like, ah, I'm take my bra off, woohoo! Throw it on the yeah. fence. So
0: what? What did you leave on the fence?
1: Oh, I didn't. I didn't
2: leave. I just, I just left my aura there. Oh
1: yeah. yeah. Is this where we bring up the underwear question, Andrew? Oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, this interview is getting really weird. <laughs> oh, do you, do you wear underwear when you run, this? Uh, I wear uh, boxer briefs, like sports boxers. Oh yeah. I cut the liners out of my shorts.
1: Oh, oh, so you don't tight. have liners in your shorts, and you just wear sports boxes.
2: Yeah, I wear a separate sports boxer. Keeps from chafing, especially all the years of cycling. My upper quads rub together. It is not. It's not. A, it's not friendly in the little little panty liners that are come in running shorts. So I cut them out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I feel cool. We're, we're, uh, no, we're, we're, we're,
0: no. Steve was going to mention, um, if you, ask you if you had heard of Eurodex before. I was.
1: No. Words right out of my mouth. Oh, they're special sports underwear for men with a moisture wicking mesh and two types of elastic. (laughs) (laughs) And our only sponsor. But anyway. (laughs) I feel like
2: there's a lot of inside jokes on this podcast that I'm not getting. (laughs) No, 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 no. All
0: the jokes (laughs) about Grant are on the outside. They're definitely outside jokes.
1: oh anyway back back to food so so has anyone kind of created a paleo gel
2: no because one thing i was going to say we were starting to talk about that i simple carbs are still on during racing and long runs yeah. it's just everyday diet is where it really affects you because your glucose uptakes really good while you're running right yeah. you can you can handle that because you're, you're going to burn it right there on the spot like pretty quickly you're going to get it absorbed and 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 that's it's easy to break down in the gut right? Um, simple carbohydrates, but whereas proteins and fats slow down your digestion. So that's why, you know, one of the kind of protocols we kind of coach for people who are high fat, low carb athletes is that we're using everyday diet to get more, to burn fat at a higher rate, manipulating your metabolism and to burn fat at a higher rate per minute. Then on race day and race day and long runs, we still use simple carbohydrates. And then that simple carbohydrate intake is gonna get utilized during that exercise. You're not gonna store any of it. And then afterwards, we strategically add some fruit or potatoes or something back in to top off glycogen after that workout to get ready for the next workout. So we still use, we still use simple carbohydrates on race day and long runs. It's still the appropriate use because they're simple to break down and they don't slow down digestion. And I, I would coach people to not, if you're gonna eat fat and protein or foods that are heavy in fat and protein during a race, you should probably have very little and sp- spread it out every four to five hours to give your body plenty of time to digest it. Because as soon as you take a bunch of food in there that is really complex, it's going to slow down every gel, every drink you drink, everything you try to put in after that, it's going to slow down the absorption of it because the body's trying to get blood to that, those resources that are there and try to break them down. And there's, you know, there's not enough blood to go around because it's working in your extremities and your heart and lungs, and all that kind of stuff while you're exercising. So simple carbohydrates still appropriate. Well, one of my favorite race foods is pizza. You know, every time I come to the aid station, a slice
0: of pizza. Is that complex or not?
2: Well, it is complex, but but if you look at a piece of pizza, most pizza pizza is probably going to have, you know, cheese and vegetables or just cheese and maybe a little meat on it and and then bread, so it's a carbohydrate. So it's not going to be as complex as, say, you came into an aid station and ate, you know, uh, a giant hamburger, right, or something like that.
0: Well, it's going to be. No.
2: Yeah. But I mean, I think it's it depends on how your effort level too. So if your heart rate's going to be at a high output during an event, like for me racing up front, I'm pushing pretty hard. So like for me to eat more complex foods, it's harder. But so athletes I coach that say middle of the pack or back of the pack, they can eat more solid food and eat a little more than say what i could eat but but i would say if you're getting gi stress during a race then you pro- that's that's one thing to look at to minimize
0: yeah. <coughs> yeah 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 i um i definitely find like as the ra- as the race goes on especially after the 100k mark like my 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 willingness to chew food or whatever um, decreases I find it just you know just the effort going into like chewing food, you know like they're, um i find yeah um like soft things like i't know like custard, um rice pudding That's, right like, stuff I can eat easy
1: yeah,
2: yeah, and that easily digests yeah so do you
1: yeah. get oh you're always right running at the front jeff do you always do you ever get jealous of those people who get to spend twice as many many hours on the course?
2: Yeah, actually, I'm looking forward to that when I'm older and I slow down, and I can actually <laughs> I can actually enjoy the aid stations instead of rushing through them. Yeah, um, and going on liquid nutrition most of the race. Um, yeah, I do. I, I mean, the few times I've paced people, I, you know, especially through the night and like a hundred miler, I really enjoy the aid stations at those times. Yeah. you know, hanging out and talking to people and socializing and um, someday. I'll yeah. be there. So
1: back to growing old, because you know this is self interest that so I do this podcast and has it has there been any any changes to your training regime as you've got older? Um oh, mileage yeah. wise on the Zimmer frame, Steve.
2: The I think the um, the the uh, the biggest thing mileage hasn't changed that much in the last say decade like if I looked at annual mileage, um, I think I've done a little more speed work in the last five years than I have previously. Um, but the biggest training thing I think probably has been strength training and mobility that I prioritize now versus I didn't used to as much. I still did it, but I would skip a week here and there. And I would, I don't skip very much anymore. Um, I make sure I hit my strength training twice a week and like right now, I'm on a challenge body weight every day. We're on doing a last one last person standing um, competition within my athletes. And we started when when the lockdowns kind of started actively happening, I did a seven day challenge of body weight strength with my it's like upper body lower body core work, all, all body weight stuff. So you could do it every day. We did a seven day challenge, and then seven of us continued to a last one standing. Um, now we're down to four people in my group um and we just do a strength training every single day um and so we're on like i think we're on day 40 we've done 40 days in a row of strength training every single day so core work push-ups pull-ups air squats wall sits banded lateral walks calf raises planks
1: so how many how many minutes a day would that workout be?
2: You have to do a total number. So you do 60 push-ups, 30. You do 60 of everything, so 60 air squats. Or if it's static, you do three minutes. So three minutes of wall sits, three minutes of planks, uh, 60 calf raises, and 30 pull-ups. So half the number of pull-ups as push-ups. What do you need to do pull-ups? Like What do you need arms for running? uh
0: posture did the, did the tyrannosaurus rex need arms no
3: <laughs> he's
2: extinct posture <laughs> Actually, you use your yeah. you, you got to keep good posture you ever seen people at the end of hundreds when they're all hunched over yeah. like you got to have good posture man
0: oh i i've seen people doing 100 mile races when they are literally completely folded <laughs> over
3: yes jim curris um <laughs> Hey Jeff, that was you, you won Western States when the guy. Uh, oh, Hard Rock. Wa- Watergate was it? Watergate, where the guy yeah. had water.
2: Yeah, um, Hard Rock. Was that Hard Rock? Two thousand eighteen, Hard Rock. yeah. Classic. How yeah, yeah. Was- I mean, he took he took aid outside of an aid station. Um, how it was how, how early was
3: that? How was
0: that? Uh, like- that
2: would have it actually at a very strategic spot in the race. Um,
0: okay. How much aid did he have? Did he take steroids
2: or what? He well, the rule is no water, no aid outside within a quarter mile so four hundred meters of an aid station. you can't take any aid outside aid, meaning you couldn't somebody couldn't hand you a water bottle or anything. What he did was there's this really steep climb out of your a he skipped the aid station down low and went hardly took anything at the aid station, went really light in his pack about a two mile climb up to a trailhead and his crew met him at a trailhead, and someone caught him on film, crewing out of the back of a Subaru with a cooler, Perrier bottle, chugging a Perrier bottle. They're throwing things in his pack, waiting him up for this longer section that comes up. And it's a long section, so there's no aid from down below. And it's a really long, like through that section, I carried a filter. And I, I I filtered a liter of water on the climb. So I had to stop at a creek, mix my powder in one bottle, water in the other in my flasks. And I filtered out a liter on the way up because I knew that was a long section, but he just took aid. So you're, illegally.
3: So like why would he do that? It's only a couple of miles from the aid station or.
2: Well, it was 5 it's a 5-mile climb at altitude. 5 miles. So total it's 7 miles. So he he took 2 miles light. Okay. Like no, no not carrying anything hardly in his pack. He didn't have any full water on him. And then he refilled with five miles to go up to the next aid station. So you see what I'm saying? He took that. Whereas I carried two full, a liter of liquid up through there up to a creek, refilled again, carried that liter to the aid station. And
3: and whereabouts was that? Like, was that 50 kilometers in? Where, Where is that?
2: That's about fifth. That's about mile 45. 46 47 almost okay. halfway
3: so it was so right, own-
2: right in the, and it's in the it's in the afternoon west sun against dark rock um yeah. it's kind of like a microclimate where it's really hot there so it was um, only water or, or are you saying he took like um he got refilled in his pack and he took water liquid okay so he was chugging perrier there's there's photos and video i've seen it yeah <laughs> it, i mean it's pretty incriminating. Um, why, but, would risk, also, why would he
3: risk that? Like, it doesn't seem like how well, far ahead I was mean, he?
2: Okay, so here's I, I, I think Killian did was the most eloquent. He did a post afterwards and he said, You should understand the nuances when you race in different countries. Because, for, sure. for example, in Europe, the standing rule is if you got busted taking aid outside of aid station, you would get a time, a time uh, they would take a little time off your final time. Right, like it's like a, it's like a penalty, right? But in the United States, our rule is, no outside aid, or you will, or you can be decued. Man, do we even have rules about that in New Zealand?
3: Well, crush the cargo if you don't do it. The shop, uh, <laughs> have, have you're disqualified.
1: You really, have, you, have
3: you really crushed the cargo? <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> so
2: you have to do the tequila shot.
3: Oh man, I do like a good Generally, tequila. Going
0: back to that tequila. Oh man.
3: Anyway. So you. So he knew what he was doing, and he just.
0: Well,
2: it. and it, there was a whole thing that went on that they denied it. Oh, okay. And the, and the race staff knew had seen the video.
3: Seen footage. So yeah. someone
2: had had was out hiking on the trail, and saw it ha- and saw him do it. And actually yeah. was like, was an ultra runner and was like, I don't think that's legal. And they videoed it. And then they sent it to a friend and said, is, is this legit? Like, are they supposed to do this? I don't think they're supposed to do this, right? And they're like, no, no, they're not supposed to do that. You should send it to the race <laughs> staff. Well, then the race staff has evidence. Yeah. But they before they even like DQ, they didn't, they didn't DQ till late. They questioned them first. And so- it was initially denied, but they had evidence. And then when they didn't, they started backtracking. Right. And um, how,
3: how far back were you? How,
2: what was the um, I was at, you know, I think throughout the night, I was about an hour inside of an hour, around an hour behind him. I was in second all night until I, t- I thought I took a wrong turn or I thought I got off course. And I backtracked in the middle of the night about at about 13,000 feet. I backtracked about a mile and a half downhill and then turned around and came back, which was about an hour detour. We Actually, we checked it on Strava with I Run Far afterwards um how much of a detour i just went back to the flags last flags found them and then okay okay i'm on course i wasn't off course but i thought i was and then i continued on but i burned an extra hour so then i was like two hours behind him after that so when
3: when did you find out about his eight miles
2: from the finish
3: oh man miles so they put a bit of a spring in your step did you, yeah. So you it, you didn't know you were in the lead. You were like
2: – So I was thought I was in second all night thought you were throughout second, the yeah. whole night. And, and I had a big gap. I was in kind of no man's land. I was about an hour behind lead, the lead. And I was about an hour in front of third. Until I did the detour and went backwards and backtracked. And then third place almost caught back up to me. I could see them, him and his pacer. Throughout the night, their lights were not that far back. And so I had to surge again and, like, kind of put a move to get gap them again. Um, and so I was trying, trying to hold on to second at that point because of the backtrack. And then I came into the last aid station at Cunningham and they go, you're in the lead. I was like, what? I'm in the lead. I'm like, half, Yeah. Half you're in the lead. So you got. immediately, you go, what happened? He's like, they just said he DQ, he was DQ'd and I didn't know why I, yeah. I, you know, you're in a race. So you're just like, okay, well I'm cool. in first now. Yeah. Holy crap. So I just started like, getting ready to get do that last push to the finish which is up over 13,000 feet you have like a 2,500 foot climb in like less than two miles or something up over 13,000 feet and so I just pushed that and uh, and another guy the guy in second then in second was only six and a half minutes behind me at that last aid station
3: Ooh. So when did that guy? When did he get pulled or DQ? Did he
2: at ninety two? They tried to talk. 92. They tried to talk I bet he, to I bet him he at fifty
0: eight.
2: What's that? I bet he was swearing more than you did. Oh, I'm I'm sure he was. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, um, have you spoken to him at all? Or I did afterwards. Because um, yeah. we've raced against each other a couple of times, and yeah. um, you know, I I just said sorry, man. You know, like what what are you gonna do, like? You know, well, you it, made wasn't, those it wasn't your fault really no it wasn't my fault i i abided by the rules <laughs> and so so i it was did a you, good lesson uh, i was they have bummed, a prize though. giving
3: or they have a prize giving were, were you guys both there or they? <laughs> uh
2: they do well they, they don't do much of a prize i mean it's it's more like you know it's a it's old school that race i like it that okay. way yeah but but you know like i think the the lesson for me too was was that you know you never know what's going to happen in ultra Yeah. So you just, as long as you're consistent and you like do your thing, sometimes you're like, sometimes you're given a gift, and it's like, whoa, I'm in the lead at Hard Rock all of a sudden, and I wasn't expecting that. Um, But you know, you got to be ready to seize it when it happens.
3: Yeah, Yeah, it's it's all that mental thing, isn't it? Just like stay in the fight, even if you think. Yeah, exactly. You're kind of out the way. Um, We kind of had a similar thing here with Mount Difficulty, and uh, when Grant guys won. Mount difficulty, but he got second. So, <laughs> you you guys really are like brothers.
1: <laughs> oh, poor Grant. So, speaking of uh, unusual things happening in ultras, have you ever had any hallucinations?
2: Um, only only slightly in that hard rock. I, you, we were talking about the hardest hundred I've dealt with. Um, hard rock in two thousand seven. In the middle of the night, you know when you're kind of like asleep? If you've ever been in 100 and you're asleep on your feet a little bit and you're kind of dozing off, I was having one of those moments. I was hypoxic, so my, you know, my blood, O2 saturation level was low. I'm kind of like walking in this upper basin at like 12, 13,000 feet, and I'm like walking down grass on both sides. So th- imagine like, you know, waist-high tall grass and the single track running right through the middle of it in this basin. And all of a sudden, in my headlamp, in my stupor of kind of half asleep, a bunch of grass was moving down the trail in front of me, like a pile of grass. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I finally like put my, I kind of woke up and put my, my light on high beam and it was a porcupine, like with its quills all sticking straight out. So it looked like a pile of grass in in, in, under my headlamp. And so that was like, it was disconcerting when it first happened because I didn't realize what it was. So it, it was kind of a hallucination, but I've had a lot of animal encounters, you know, wildlife encounters in hundred milers Being in the lead when you're flushing everything out up front, yeah. So I've had I've had some close calls with big animals. What sorts? Uh, I've had a standoff with a mountain lion, Ooh. um, in the we middle of the night. One. Um, luckily I I had Jesse Haynes with me as a pacer, and w- so we had headlamps on it. It was in the middle of the night, San Diego hey, one hundred. Uh.
0: I thought you were going to say he was slower than you, so you took off, and, he, and the, the middle line just got the... the- <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it sort of played out like that. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, well, I saw something on my peripheral, and it jumped down off a big boulder, and it was in this tall grass. So, so tall yellow grass, you know, like, you know, probably a meter tall. and And so, like... It it jumped off this thing, but it was in the peripheral of my headlamp, so I didn't really catch what it was. And I said, so I turned my headlamp on high beam to to kind of figure out what it was, right? When you're in the United States, especially, there's big predators in the woods, and especially in the West, in the mountains. So you want to like, if you see eyes or you see movement, you need to figure out what it is, right? Is it a deer? Is it, you know, harmless? Or is it like a predator? So I immediately put it on high beam, stopped on the trail, put it on high beam. And this cat head with green glowing eyes, like head raised up out of the grass, and it was like less than 20 meters, so pouncing distance. You know, one one bound and it would be honest. So we kept our lights blinding it and yelling at it, and we just kind of walked sideways, keeping it blinded down the trail. It paralleled us for about 40 meters and hid under kind of like a fallen tree, um, like a half-fallen tree, and we lost sight of it for a little bit. So we were panicked. We were yelling at each other. You see it? I don't see it. Oh my God. What, where is it? And, and then it finally saw it under this tree and it stayed there at that point. And we just kept backing away, keeping our light on it. And it finally, Jesse was behind me and I finally go, okay, dude, I'm going to start running. And, <laughs> and, uh, so we both started running, but we made a pact to like every 40 meters, we'd stop and scan behind us with our light to see if we could see eyes. Cause they're glowing eyes, you know? Because it picks up light so we would look for glowing eyes and then we'd run 40 meters stop scan behind us look for glowing eyes and when we find, we did that for the it was that mile like 97 so we were like close to the finish line we were in i was in the lead and um and we found out later that that the night before there had been a mountain lion um scouted scouted in a campground like a mile from there so i'm sure it was the same one um that was probably the scariest um, I've had standoffs with uh, several standoffs with moose, um, which are really dangerous because they'll charge you really easily, um, and they run like thirty-five, forty miles an hour. Um, and then, Man, you should
0: definitely come do the kipper sometime.
2: <laughs> yeah, what? What? You guys don't? Have, yeah, you guys gonna say you guys have deer. What do you no. have? You don't have any predators in New Zealand, well, do you?
3: We've got moose.
2: <laughs> you do have moose.
3: Yeah. Probably but, one. There's more, There might be one down there. Yeah. There's, oh there's wait, Graham told
2: me this story that someone imported moose at one time.
1: Yeah, about a hundred years ago. But they, every,
3: everything's imported here.
1: They, yeah, they're spotted about once every five years. Someone spots a moose.
2: So you still have a couple living around there, so Maybe, maybe just yeah.
1: hallucinations. You have to
2: find them first. Yeah, we have a lot of big moose up here. And What about bears? Do you have bears? Yeah, we have we have black bears and grizzly bears in where I live.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I've always, is it, part of me's always wanted to be chased by a bear because I heard like they can't run uphill. So, oh,
2: they, they so I, can I, run I want, uphill. I want to
0: find out if you if you if you if you if you're you by a bear if you run uphill will I get away? That's what I want to know. No, you won't get away. I'm not. I'm not so keen. I'm not so keen on being the the sort of eaten up sort of Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio boy, but um. yeah (laughs) actually that guy's a hard bastard Hugh Glass if Hugh Glass came back you know somehow someone back in time picked up Hugh Glass and brought him back into the future he'd be the ultimate like ultra competitor I reckon exactly how tough is that guy he literally like got half eaten by a bear and he still managed to crawl like 500 miles or whatever it was and what
2: a dude yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. I mean, people I are not even close to that tough anymore. As well. Yeah, amazing. he would have been just on a carnivore diet, mainly. Those <laughs> yeah. hunters, that's all they ate was meat, yeah. you know, mainly. So you haven't run into yeah. these? No, I, uh, they're pretty – like, we have black bears in one mountain range on the northeast side of town, but on the south side of town is the Gallatin Range, which be- between here and Yellowstone National Park, there's nothing but mountains ranges. So for a hundred miles, there's just wilderness, and so those bears, the black, the grizzly bears, have have reintroduced themselves farther north and farther north over the years as their their population has grown. Um, you know, because they were hunted almost to extinction in mm. uh, in North America, but then we had a pretty big recovery effort that's been going on for de- decades. So now they've totally reintroduced themselves. There's a very healthy population in Montana. Um, actually, Montana is trying to there's a lot of uh, people in Montana would, that would like to start a grizzly bear hunting season because we've gotten to the point where if you go elk hunting, the sound of a gun brings grizzlies to you. Oh. <laughs> because, because they know it's food. Yeah. They know right. there's a kill. If they hear a gun go off, they know that there's probably been a deer or an elk kill. So they'll come towards the sound of the gun now. Whereas yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're hunting them and during hunting season, they, they're taught to like, fear a gun then when a gun shoots so we've had some hunters attacked like got you know grizzlies have snuck up on them um and uh running wise we run with bear spray and usually in a group of at least two people but preferably three um so if we go into bit heavy grizzly country to the south we usually run with bear spray and in a group so you don't go down there solo very often um except a couple of spots there's some places to go solo that aren't there's enough hikers that you know someone yeah. would be within earshot of you yeah and but, you just make sure you're not the last in the group exactly but it's, you just making noise is the most important thing because where you're going to get attacked is if you if you if you sneak up on them if you surprise them you know if you come around a corner because if you give them plenty of room to to leave the area they'll leave right yeah so you know, I'm not too – I mean, I'm more scared of a mountain lion than I am because there's way more mountain lions, and they're sneaky, yeah. like, you know, than a bear. So, I'm not – bears don't scare me as much as mountain lions do. But, I mean, I mean, there's mountain lions in every forest we have in, in the western United States, so we have a big, healthy population. I see cat tracks all the time.
3: Yeah. Did, um, you, guys, did you guys see that um, jaguar attack? It was, like, a couple of weeks ago. That was, where is that? Uh, I'm not sure where it was, but the guy—the guy, the guy was uh, taking a selfie, like he was taking a video with his camera. And this, he was standing by a river. I think he was fishing or something, and he's talking into the camera. And there's—and then you see him, you see his face, and then you see behind him there's a jag about two meters away, sitting in the grass, just staring up at him. And then you hear him scream, and this jag just like mauls him. Oh.
0: Is that, we say, um, it was, bru- what, it where was brutal.
3: Jag-
0: where, 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 What part of the world did Jake, Jake, was
3: on? And... Like South America or somewhere. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, I think South America and Africa, right?
3: Yeah, I think it might have been South America. This guy, you saw like you just saw the jag looking up at him from behind, and then he saw it, and then he got attacked, and then the next thing you saw him in hospital. Somehow he survived, but oh. the. But his head been like ripped to pieces. Like he was well,
2: well, Yeah, they always to go to for the, the head or the neck.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was his head and like his back and you could just see all his puncture wounds and uh, I, I, I guess he survived, I don't know, he was alive in the hospital, but it was Actually,
0: that, that that reminds me of who's that guy, um the grizzly man guy. They did a documentary about him. Oh yeah, the guy, guy that got guy that got more Oh, that guy he, from
2: Alaska. I just watched that.
0: Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so he'd go into this he'd go into this territory thing. And just like hanging out there by himself, yeah. like for ages, and then somewhere 13, along the
2: thirteen summers, he made it thirteen yeah, yeah, summers yeah, yeah. before mad,
0: he got mad he And were eating them. I don't know what was going on there. But then well, he-, he
3: was doing what Jeff was saying and making lots of noise. And
2: yeah, but to- the other thing that guy was doing is like, I kind of cr- criticize that guy because he says he was per- quote quote unquote protecting them, yeah. but it's like, dude, you you're like making bears used to humans which is a bad situation you don't want yeah. bears to be used to humans they're wild animals like let them be in their habitat we can observe them in their habitat from a distance with binoculars but we shouldn't be right in their habitat right what, like was, that, his, right?
3: Uh, what was his objective he was just trying to hang out with them or
2: what well he-, he he supposedly had a non-profit that like was supposed to help protect bears but I don't. He think it was more in like I never saw any like major work he was doing that was like actually protecting them. He just he had it in his head that him being there was protecting them. Some and of it was, these like, people
3: are crazy, right? Like, what about that guy? Was it a year ago uh, yeah, off the who's coast? Who's the Joe that, Zodiac off, Zodiac of Sleep beers. Yeah, what that <laughs> guy like a year ago off the coast of India and did is that island? Oh, which, the Andaman Islands. Yeah, is the Andaman those people have had no contact and and like you can't go there. It's illegal to go there. And the guy was going to go and like spread the word of God or something, and then they said, "No, man, you can't go to the island." And then he went there, and they just, I know, they just spared him or whatever they do. They just, oh man, That's like, but there's, there's videos of, of those of the natives from helicopters, and they're just like running down the beach like it, and they just.
0: Yeah, no, I've I've had a I've, I've I, I looked into that after that happened, and you know there has been sort of sporadic contact with those people, and there has been people on the island. Yeah. Um it's like not for a very long time though. But yeah, they just leave them to it eh? and, and yeah. anything that comes near that island it's like, oh fuck, no, this is a threat, so uh, you know, they'll just spare you. But um what was the guy thinking? You know, it's like how how are you gonna preach the word of God to people that have like no concept of what English language is or you no, know, it'll, it'll
3: be it'll be fine. He would just speak in tongues, it wouldn't it wouldn't be an issue yeah, at all. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> He, he would figure it out. <laughs> anyway, it didn't work that time, but I'm sure next time. Yeah, you know. Yeah. You know anyway, I think that would be a Great place to have an We should, we should start, we should start a race on Endeavour Island. <laughs> I, I think they're they're doing the best with the lockdown at the moment. Those guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I think they've had zero cases so far. Anyway, yeah, they they, they not like, say you. New Zealand's doing really well, but those guys are, are way ahead. Yeah. <laughs> just, so you know, just so you know, Jeff, we um, we come down out of lockdown to level three last week, which which means we can uh, get McDonald's now. So we have a lot of really smart scientists here, and they've they've determined <laughs> that, that uh, you can uh, have
2: McDonald's. Yeah,
3: level three McDonald's and KFC. That's uh, where we're at now. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I I really get
2: <laughs> Burger King. Dude, it's a virus. It's got to so f- go through the population. Look at Sweden. Uh, it,
3: it. doesn't travel through drive-throughs, so that's
2: right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it tests. doesn't travel through drive-throughs. They, they did some tests,
3: and they, they came up with. Yeah. Uh,
2: I I, um, I think McDonald's might have paid for that test.
3: No, no, it's all it's all, uh, <laughs> it's all above board. Um.
1: um. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna have, I'm gonna heft your head off. So, um, Jeff, thanks heaps for coming on the the. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's been it's so- been fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I oh, mean, yeah it's,
0: it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's been a pleasure. And and now that we're friends, I've got to somewhere know. to stay when I when I when I finally go up to the states to visit.
3: Yeah, let's go to Montana. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah, we, go we're to friends go. now, Jeff. Oh no, yes. that's what I wanted to ask you. Um, before we go, um, why Bronco Billy? Where's, where's the, where's the story oh, yeah, with with Good
1: question.
2: Oh, um, in two thousand, in the early two thousands, I was um when I was first ultra running in Bend, Oregon, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Jason Moyer, um, was the fast guy in Bend, Oregon at the time of ultra runners. And, uh, we befriended each other and we started doing some adventures together. And, uh, we kind of had this ongoing joke where he claimed to be, um, he was a, like, he was from like Sweden and he he or his family heritage was from all Sweden. And so he claimed to be a Viking descent and that he had descended from b- the Berserker tribe, and so I started calling him Berserker, and I would always yell yee and like uh, giddy up, and stuff like that, I would say that all the time, when we were doing adventures, and he, uh, he started calling me Bronco Billy, and um, so that's kind of how it stuck, he started calling me Bronco Billy, I started- called him Berserker, and then I started getting, you know, that was back before there was social media, so I got a blog, gobroncobilly.com, and started doing blog posts on races and race reports. And then I had people like, who knew that blogs were going to get popular, which is really weird. And you know, it's before social media, so blogs were the thing for a while. And so I got a big following of blog followers, and people just started calling me Bronco. So I just would be at races, and then hear people go, "Go Bronco!" And you know, like my, yeah. it kind of got. St- yeah it started sticking after that like it just became like its own entity and so and then when social media came out i was in graphic design and tech scene and i grabbed go bronco billy as my handles for everything and um you know coming from a graphic design and branding stand standpoint you know that's what i did for 20 years i just naturally grabbed that stuff and it's stuck ever since so now it's its own it's an alter ego now awesome Awesome. And there you have it. Oh well, thanks heaps for coming on the show. And when you
1: come to um, New Zealand uh, this year in December, you'll probably have to stay for a month because your first two weeks will be in quarantine. Um, yeah,
2: exactly. Good grief! <laughs> I do want to come. Cu- I'm going to come do crush the card at some point.
1: Come do yeah. it, man. Yeah, yeah.
2: I will. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. If it's hard, I want to come do it.
1: Yeah, well, not even a virus is going to stop us. <laughs> Good. Getting banned from Facebook might, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good <laughs> well it's been a, it's been a pleasure Yeah thanks for talking Jeff awesome yeah. 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 Cheers, mate. cheers you guys but here I am again mixing misery and gin sitting
3: with all my friends and, and talking to myself I look like I'm having a good time but any fool can tell that this Talky talk, Kevin, really
1: makes you feel like hell.